From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in legible, unpronounceable Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are localization systems and accessibility. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Okay, so... Uh Uh-huh. A lot of snow here in Minnesota. Uh-huh. Record-breaking snow. It's been, it's been a lot of snow. It's been a rough season. It's been a very rough season. And it's come down. Please in send like, help. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it comes in like blizzard form. Yeah, like we don't have snowy days. No. We have like a blizzard, and then a week and a half of no snow. Yeah, it's just piles of it yeah. turning into ice on our curbs. Yeah. And then another blizzard. Yep. It's like sunny day, sunny day. Uh, apocalypse is coming. Sunny day. <laughs> sunny day. <laughs> yeah, it's been terrible. And today is also actually, it it's looks okay right now, but I'm sure I probably just jinxed us. Uh, because uh, way to go, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, we're looking out the window and like we're waiting for the first thing to, fl- f- yeah, because the forecast says yeah, it's pretty bad, right? It's supposed to be really bad. The next have, two days, yeah. Mm-hmm. People have been talking about it all week. Like, yes. oh, Saturday. I know. <laughs> yeah, my dad called me like two, three times just to make sure he, I wasn't going to like take the car anywhere or something, you know, because. Like to nice games club. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oops. Uh, yeah, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I don't feel particularly Minnesotan in this regard, mm-hmm. but like, it's fine. Like, it just takes you ten minutes longer to get places. I don't know. Uh, it, I don't know. It's been it's been difficult on my, my coworkers. Like, they have yeah. they've been having a hard time getting to work. I take the train, yeah. uh, to work. So like, it almost does not bother me. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes like the train is slower, or they'll run two cars because I don't know one of the cars are messed up. Yeah, that makes my ride inconvenient. Uh-huh. But like, I can still get there just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people have had a hard time like getting to work. Yeah. Um, and like I, I have there have been a few days where it's just been me and like one other person in the office. And it's, <laughs> it's so lonely those days. <laughs> I think part of it too is when it's like it's really bad out there. You yeah. can you can dawdle your way into work because yeah. you have a ready made excuse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just to call out everyone in your office right now. Yeah. I, guess. Well, I don't know. <laughs> because my work lets everyone work from home. Like the minute a snowstorm happens, everyone's like, oh, WFA, WFA, yeah. work from home, work from home, work from home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the train is good because um, the our, the metro transit here in Minneapolis, like they know how to deal with with weather, right? And so, like you know, say what you want about their general liability, like it does not suffer much when it gets bad. It's very true. Um, I remember reading an article or something where, like in Chicago, they had to literally like engulf the tracks in flames because they were not prepared for the weather. Yeah, but like that hasn't happened here, as far as I know. <laughs> right, and we had it worse here. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So yeah, we are set for that. Yeah, there's only like one time in my memory that Metro Transit shut down mm-hmm. because of weather. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yeah, we're really it takes a lot. <laughs> Way to go, public transportation. We love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, in other news, Stretch Deck is out. Yeah. All right. It's been out for like three weeks now. Mm-hmm. I bought I bought it. Oh, <laughs> it is fun. We- Although totally counter. Sorry. we no, should go prob- ahead. Can we talk about it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like. If you're a person who plays a lot of puzzle games or Tetris games, like you totally have to change your whole thought process. Yeah. Because, yeah. Like you, we were discussing on the MSP game dev Slack, um, like the whole strategy is to clear blocks as quickly as possible. Right. Whereas a lot of action puzzle games, you want to like 
make a bunch of stacks so that you can get more combos and stuff and like get them with like a burst of damage. Get or that something. Tetris. Yeah. Get that Tetris. Right. Yeah. And that's not something you want to do in Tetris. Like you want to just constantly make matches and keep your board as clear as possible. Mm-hmm. So the first couple times I played it, I had got myself like stuck in this like canyon between a bazillion blocks. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. what? But I, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My brother had the same issue because he's very used to Tetris. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an adjustment, but he's been playing it a lot too. Yeah, it's more of an action game than you expect it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, totally is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we are planning on adding a bunch of more content. We just edited Ooh. just released the patch, I guess, two weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> from now, uh, and uh, and then we'll like you know, we'll, we'll keep adding content and stuff. So we're supporting it um, as it goes on. Uh, so go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, the game came out a couple weeks ago, yes. and you and you released what you were sort of roughly describing as a day one patch. Yes, because you were working on it before release. We wanted it to be on day one. It was right. on day one. It came out a couple days later. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. It wasn't, yeah. One dot mm-hmm. and 1.0.2 is promised. Yes, and so uh, you want this regular update cadence, uh, uh, which I, is which yeah. befits your company's. Uh, Product portfolio. It does. Right? It does. Yeah, because uh, we have developed uh, web games uh, for a long time, and mm-hmm. but now we're like transitioning into like making mobile games and such, um, and so uh, it does actually fit into like how we regularly would develop things, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. I'm just not accustomed to that personally because I didn't work on <laughs> web development games mm-hmm. uh, ever since I got hired. Uh, but uh, yeah, it does make sense. Um, the 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 game itself is larger than anything we've ever produced before, though. So like, it has been a big adjustment like we've had to um, specifically we've had to like adjust like our how we do QA and such because mm-hmm. most of the time with web development things like if it goes out there not as many people see it and you can really quick update it and fix it and if there's an issue and you won't have to worry about it but with if you release games on console you have to there's a waiting period where they have to test the game or the, the patch or whatever to make sure that it works um, and then with uh, uh, yeah you just have to go through all of that process yeah um, and it's easier now than it's ever been, but yeah. it's still a couple of weeks for it's any still, tweak you want to make. It still takes a few days, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you want to make sure when you're releasing something that, like, you've checked everything to make sure that it's good. Because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, getting through a lot check is uh, frustrating sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yes, uh, look forward to more content coming yeah. soon. But uh, there's no reason to hold your dollars. Yes. Uh, go buy that game now. Yeah, yeah, totally. And if you're in, uh, if you speak a language that's not English, you might be able to play Treasure Stack in that language, depending <laughs> yes. on which one it is. We do because other languages. <laughs> there is a localization system in the game. Yeah. And that is our first topic today. Is my topic <laughs> localization. Martha, you really slow walked me into that one. That was <laughs> Just he held open the door, <laughs> like, like rolled a, out the red carpet, like a true Minnesotan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about localization because I I built a system for it in Widget Satchel, but um, we are, do not have any translation in Widget Satchel. It's just a system waiting to be used, and so I want to talk about it because it doesn't show off right now. Yeah. It's like no one knows it's there because we don't have other languages yeah. in there yet, but it's ready to go. Uh, but also, each of you has have experience working with localization systems, right. and so we can compare and contrast a little bit about how we built these things and what is the sort of standard, why you do it, and what what's involved, and all that. Mm-hmm. So, um, localization just it's you know it's basically translation, it, but more specifically, it's the sort of mechanics and logistics of getting multiple languages in your product, yeah. right? Um, localization doesn't always necessarily just mean translating text. It can also mean uh, like cultural imagery 
um, or even uh, UX changes depending right. on different regions. Yeah. Uh, you know, things like um, supporting um, uh, right-to-left languages means that you also might, might be interested in reorganizing your entire layout to to support that type of reading, mm-hmm. right? And so, but for generally, if you're an indie developer, mostly it just means translating strings. Yeah. <laughs> That's mostly what it means. Yeah. Um, but uh, in Widget Satchel, um, I'll start a little bit by talking about how I built that system. Yeah. And um, interestingly, I looked up a little bit like how to, you know, like how do you build a localization system? <laughs> because when we were starting to do a lot of the UI stuff in it over last summer, I was like, you know what? I want to do this now. I don't want to. I don't want to wait. That's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> I feel pretty good about it. No, I, I mean, like, we can go into this a little bit, but like, we had difficulties with localization in Treasure Stack because we did not take that into account until like after most of the content was done. Yeah. So we had to like put a system into the game mm-hmm. instead of having one already ready. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is that you, because I had done that, all of the strings were um, they were they were just being you know variables and and uh, you know in the system, mm-hmm. which meant I could not guarantee their length, and uh, I didn't know how they would translate right. necessarily. And so, like the only uh, foreign language I have any working knowledge of is French, and in terms of sentence length, it's about the same as English. <laughs> so, like, it's maybe a little longer. But like generally, like I, I know for a fact that if you translate into German, you need to have a lot more space. Sure, yeah. Right? Yep. And, and if you translate into Korean, you need a lot less space. But, you know, it's just really broad. I'd have no real idea. Yeah. So that actually, that ignorance, I, I, I held on to that and made sure that like, oh, whatever I do has to have this buffer. Yeah. So button prompts, um, in-game UI, menu text, all of those things, I, I – every I hadn't, I hadn't designed a lot of these things yet. Mm-hmm. I, I built the localization system before making all the UI, UI components. So I had the advantage of already knowing like a little bit of what I was going to be getting into some down, down the road as I was building these systems to begin with. Yeah. So that, that informed a lot of my decisions and hopefully we'll see, right? Because <laughs> yeah. like I said, they're waiting to be used. We'll see how well that pays off. But um, I think that's my argument for thinking about it early. Yes. Is that you, um, and the way we're doing it with Satchel is we're not paying anybody to translate. We're not doing Google Translate. It's advise against that. I think mm-hmm. you'll hear that from a lot of people. Um, so right, and our first version is just going to be English only. Yeah. Um, but, um, which, which means we don't have the big expense and, 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 and difficulty that you do when you think about having to translate your game. Yeah. It's, but building that system in advance is still good because then you're, you're, you're ready to do it when you need to. Yeah. When you, a little bit of money comes in from the game, you know, like a very little bit even, <laughs> you could use that very little bit to, to, to pay a translation service. Uh, even ones that specialize in game, uh, localization, uh, to get your game into its first foreign language. Yeah. And that's, that's the plan that we have. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to talk more about like that Google Translate thing. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh, I think for like small words, it's maybe okay to use them. Yeah. I think it does get a bad rap. Yeah. And I think that it's earned, right? You yeah. don't just want to put your, your RPG opus yeah. into it. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, and we can talk more about translation mm-hmm. and like the, you know, meaning and all of that as we get further into the topic. Yeah. Um, but I'm with you in the sense that like, if you have no money, it is kind of better than nothing, right? Um, yeah. But you you will hear people tell you that it's it's worse than nothing. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think it might be an overreaction. But you do have to be very careful if you're going to use Google Translate as your tool, mm-hmm. um, and you don't have a lot of opportunity to say double check with a, a native speaker or pay someone to read or any of that stuff. Then you have to be very careful about how much text you put through it. Right. Well, um, yeah, exactly. I would just caution people from yeah, you know, putting your entire RPG into that. That's uh-huh. probably unwise. But like, if you wanted to say 
uh, return or something. I'm sure you could probably put that in Google Translate and it would work in most cases. Yeah, there are exceptions to that even, yeah. of course, because like mm-hmm. some things are more than one word in other languages and some things are... Verbs are really difficult to translate oh. if you don't know the language because you'll get three options and, you'll, and then you'll, you'll get like very helpful, like this means sort of this and this means sort of this and you're like, I, have, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what what does it culturally mean? Like it, you know, return is a great example. Yeah. Return, enter, go, like all the words you would have on a, on a confirm button. Yeah. Confirm, right? Yeah. Like th- those as verbs in English all mean wildly different things. It's true. It, it, it both literally and also how they are used uh, in in English speech, and how they are used as button prompts. Mm-hmm. So you have no idea. Like yeah, <laughs> I was reading a thing that was talking about. Uh, I'm very into Finnish because that's, you know, the language I took in college and stuff. Um, and Finnish is like an agglutinative language. So like you add add things that in English would be a separate word, like mm-hmm. prepositions and things like that uh-huh. as endings or beginnings. You have yeah. more prefixes and suffixes and, and conjugations than extra words to, to mean a more complicated. Ah, exactly. Oh, but okay. if you're translating into Mandarin, everything is its own word. Yeah. yeah so yeah, like yeah. you never would put endings on anything. Mm-hmm. You would be, it'd be like word, 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 word. Right. Right. Sure, okay. So Google translate does way better with that than uh, with Finnish or a language like Finnish where it's all, you can say like a whole sentence in one word yeah. because it's all, all these endings that you could put on. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Huh, okay. Well, then maybe be careful about Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, um, this is a, a you'll if you do any sort of googling for like you know how do I translate my game? What are the pitfalls? Yeah. One of the things you'll see a lot um, for Japanese translations mm-hmm. is y- you'll see a lot of like why are so many Japanese games in English? Yeah. Right. And uh, a lot of the reason is it's cultural, right? So yeah. if you have a, a game, uh, you'll see a lot of first-party Nintendo games that released in Japan. And on the start screen, it says in English, press start. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, why? Why is that the case? Because the language of video games was created in American arcades. Like that was the, cult, the cultural language of, of video games comes from that. Sure. And um, even though there was, you know, a, a, it was a, a, a big in Japan at that time. And, uh, um, you know, the, the first wave of consoles and home PCs, um, you know, uh, spread around the world very quickly and, and all over the place. But like that idea culturally a video game the press start means pre- start a video game huh. like that's what that means and so you'll see like words like health and attack and like and like basic video game verbs yeah very frequently will not be translated in, into Japanese in Japanese games hmm. and so you'll see a lot of times like even like words like okay for a command uh, uh, usually you want you prefer English over the Japanese translation even if you're only releasing in Japan um, and there's tons of interesting examples of this, and it's very difficult for someone who doesn't know the language or is immersed in that culture, um, who you know, who uh, plays a lot of like Final Fantasy uh, 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 original versions, sure, to yeah. like to, to have a real good handle on all of those different on all those different uh, pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only thing you can really do is just look into it, you know. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times, like HUDs, HUDs uh, are most likely to stay 
or to be English yeah. in, in Japanese. And that makes a lot of sense, too, because then you don't have to, like, you know, have an adjustable HUD for each uh, different language and such. Well, I mean, it's certainly helpful to the modern indie developer yeah. who don't have, doesn't have to bother with that, yeah. especially if, you're, if your HUD has a lot of design elements in terms of, like, spacing and layout. Right. Like, ooh, sigh of relief there. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, you'll get a lot of games. Indie games will get in a lot of, not trouble, but they'll get laughed at a little bit when they translate things they they make the effort, yeah, and then the Japanese players are like, "This doesn't make any sense to me," mm. you know. Okay, so let's talk about how we actually built the thing in Widget Satchel. Yeah, and I want to hear about how you guys built the systems that you guys built, yeah, the projects that you've been working with. Um, so the first thing for Widget Satchel was um, uh, taking anything that required a string and making sure the game knew that it needed to replace that string at any time, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, I wanted to be able to have players go into the menu and change the language while playing the game. And so um, we have a... Uh, a com- uh, so if you know Unity, you'll, you'll know how, how I'm discussing these things. We have a component on every uh, text item in the game um, that is uh, just a controller for all of these. It's a localized text controller. Okay. And in there, you've got... Um, a reference to uh, a public uh, object, which is a scriptable object. So, for people who've worked in Unity, a scriptable or haven't worked in Unity, a scriptable object is a. Um, it's sort of like a. It's like a. It's a data file. It's a binary. I think it's binary. Mm, yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, it, irregardless, but um, uh, that lives on uh, your system, yep. and it then it stores data for you instead of storing it in local variables. So it's a. It's a way to serialize. Um, things outside of like a class or something like that. Um, it's very useful and it's very frequently used for configuration data, yeah. um, for settings, for, for a lot. If you ever uh, download a lot of like uh, asset store plugins, you'll get a lot of scriptal objects for stuff. So we leverage that here. So uh, um, we have scriptal objects um, that are the strings and then those contain all the translations. So they contain a dictionary of all, of, of, uh, for each uh, uh, language than the, the string that's for that. Then it also contains a variable, which is the display string, which is basically what string am I using now uh, pulled from that, that, that dictionary. The uh, component on the, the text object um, that, can, that uh, you feed it that, 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 uh, that, uh, that scriptable object. Mm-hmm. So wh- when you write uh, the text, you, you can write it in the game, like in the, te- the actual text component in the, in the scene, if you want to. And then you can add this component uh, this uh, 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 localized text uh, controller component, and then it has a public variable which asks you, "Where's my multiple, my localized string?" Yeah, right. And so you feed it that, um, and so then you have your nice big like folder full of data objects, which are actually all your localized strings. Yeah, which means you can reuse them, yeah. which is really great. So if you have like an OK button or or a cancel button or something, um, you can you have one object that says, "This is the the translations for that." for all, all the different translations for this button, right? And then every time it's used throughout the entire game, it, uh, it uses the same thing. So if you misspell something, if you add a language, if you decide, oh, I want to use the word uh, like OK spelled out instead of the, word, the letters O and K, uh, you can, it'll just do that for all of them. You don't have to find every one in, in the thing. Ah. Or work with a prefab or anything necessarily. Yeah. You can just change that, 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 that data object. Um, on there also, it has a, a, a function which um, listens for a global event called on language change. And on language change is a global event that happens when you change the language in the settings menu or something. It just yeah. fires and evokes an event that says, like, hey, I've changed the language. Here's what it is, right? And it's, it's an enum of all the various languages that our game supports. Mm-hmm. And um, 
everything in the game that has that listener, which is all the text objects, will then say, oh, hey, I've, I've, I've heard what the new language is. I will now tell my scriptable object that, and I will pull from, uh, from whichever of language that is and set that as the display string. Ah, okay. So it's, it's relatively simple. And once, it's, once it was built, it's actually very easy to use yeah. in that you can just add, uh, you know, add your strings. Uh, you can do it from within Unity, if you want to, on each of those objects. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gets tedious, and we'll ex- I'll explain why in a bit. <laughs> um, but then you can then use those strings anywhere you need them in the game, right? And, and those strings are for text objects. They're for a cutscene dialogue. Um, therefore, you know, uh, uh, names of stats. Yeah. Literally anything that requires a string uh, can be fed this thing. And what's great is, as I was working on the project, um, I have a, a new UI element that I'm not ready to localize yet. I'm also not ready to create a data object for it. Yeah. Because, like, that does take some time. Yeah. That's fine. I can just leave it blank. If I leave it blank and I don't feed it a data object, then it just uses whatever I typed in in the Unity editor. Sure. Okay. In the meantime. So that's great because then I don't have, it doesn't slow me down as I work. I can still type things in. The only thing I can't do is uh, uh, type my text in code or in scripts. Ah. That's, that, that is the only thing that, that, our, that our system frowns upon. Otherwise, okay. you can just build it however you want, and then you okay. can just add these components as you need them to bring them into the system. Sure. I can see how that could be disadvantageous, though, if you aren't able to add text through, through uh, code. Just because like, if you need to adjust it in code some, for some reason, that would be a problem. I don't know. I guess I can't come up with it. Coming reason. from you, that's amazing. <laughs> I know, well, that's because the system we use in Treasure Stack, we have a system in place to edit code and uh, text that you see in Unity as well. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess like um, the way our system works is that we have like six different, no, five or six different like uh, JSONs that just store literally all of the text. Uh, in in uh, the lang- uh, in whatever language you're using, and then it uses the English as a key to determine what text you're going to switch it to, mm-hmm. um, which gets real annoying when like you make an edit to one of your English texts, then that like, it breaks and then it won't translate. Right. See, we avoid that yeah. by all of ours have other keys. That's and, smart. <laughs> and strings have certain keys that have certain prefixes. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our other translatable objects, like our, the data on the type of socks in the game. Yeah. Like that's a single scriptable object that includes the, the title of it, the description, the, the art asset, mm-hmm. all of the things. And some of those are, are, are uh, and the, the ID for those is just a number. Yeah. Um, because that's a different type of object. So our, our system is relatively flexible for what you even use as a key yeah. as well. But I think it's very common for people to want to use English as a key because it is annoying to write a key for every string. Yes. Because well, it's like writing it at least twice without translating right, it. Right. And then, I mean, part of the benefit to, like, especially doing scriptable objects is can you just drag the scriptable object into the component that you're adjusting? Yeah. So, yeah. in the case of if you're, if you're using just scriptable objects, mm-hmm. like, uh, we just have to require keys because we pull the data from spreadsheets and I can get ah, that in a bit. Okay. But if you're, if you're using just scriptable objects, you don't need keys at all. Yeah. You just you drag just in. The yeah. Appropriate. Uh, the tedium of that is probably not worth it ultimately, <laughs> but um, it does save you the trouble of having yeah. to do that part. I mean the nice thing about using the English language as the key was is that like uh, you know we didn't have to type up all of those different keys and such and yeah. so like we, uh, is whenever we just found text we just drag in that component and we don't have to do anything with it mm-hmm. but if we make changes to the text then it will cause problems yeah and a lot of times um the thing about systems like this and my philosophy generally, mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like I'm, I'm making a contrast here, but like <laughs> this, the speed at which you build something that 
like the in in a uh, in treasure stack yeah. has incredible advantages over what I built for widget satchel because it, it because like we're releasing the first version without any translations at all yeah and so it ends up being a ton of extra literally typing uh, for no benefit immediately right right um, the uh, uh, the work I was talking about that's worth doing in advance that that apart from that that extra typing is not always worth it yeah but um, the advantage uh, that we have is that like you say if you change the English strings. Thing about widget satchel is the whole thing was built at speed. It was it was a you know as we were laying the track we were building the train car. Right. Yeah. So like <laughs> you know and so um it, it, we couldn't afford to have used that as keys because it would have changed way more than I'm sure it changed for treasure stack. Mm-hmm. But you were probably more capable of handling the little changes every every so often. Yeah. You just go in and just the JSON to use the appropriate key. Right. And then you find and replace in you know wherever you need to reference that key. Yeah. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not awesome, but like it's yeah, ultimately I mean, it's a time saver. But it works, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Uh, Martha, you you uh, went in in your at your new job. You have been doing localization systems, or at least you know how they work. Yeah. So in the software that we're making, it has to be translated so that lots of different zookeepers from, that speak different languages can use the software. And um, basically, we do a similar thing where we uh, like. Anytime we have text that's going to be displayed on the UI, it gets thrown into our like database where all the translations get done. So then translators can log in and be like, oh, okay, here's this thing that's like, oh. you know, add animal. And then they can add their translation and what language they're translating it in. And then the program goes through and is like, finds any time that is used and replaces it. Your, your translators are able to go into the system and translate it themselves. Yes. That's really yep. good. Uh, with Treasure Stack, we, uh, we exported all of our text to a translator. They translated all the stuff and then we gave it back and then we put it in ourselves. Oh, uh, yeah. The reason why we, it's all in one system is because a lot of the stuff is in context. So we want, okay. it, it would be a different word if you just had it by itself yeah. versus mm-hmm. in some of the languages that it, get, it gets translated into. Okay. So we want to make sure that people can see the context that it's in. Yeah. Because it's not like dialogue where it can be kind of outside. Yeah. Sure. And you've described the system you work with as also being, because it has, uh, you're building a product for different uh, zoos and zoological societies to implement on uh, using their nomenclature and systems. So you sometimes you have different things that become the key, right? At least in the, the terms of the user using it. So it, it sounds like this is a, a, an extension of that philosophy of flexibility. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um, uh, people enter the data into a, a UI that's been developed, right? Yes. It, um, yeah. And then, Stephen, your data is um, you get it from translators, yes. and then y- you guys then put it into JSON files. Right. For Widget Satchel, um, and then your game reads directly from the JSON files. Yep. So if, if uh, like, the PC version, the user could go find that file? Oh. Yes, I definitely thought of that ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I don't mean to poke a hole yeah, in no. it, because that's really, really common, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's one of the first things if, if for all you young modders out there. It's one of the first things you look for yeah. is, is just text that you can modify, yep, right? Yep. It's, a, it's a way to learn. It's really, really cool. Um, I didn't ask, I, for Widget Satchel, I wanted our, the scriptable objects that we use to hold more than text. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also hold data. They hold references to other objects. They hold uh, art assets. They're yeah. more complicated objects than just strings. We do have... Uh, Objects that are just strings, yeah. but um, most of our uh, uh, localized objects 
are more than strings. Yeah. They're either uh, multiple sets of strings for like title and description, or they are uh, a title and art asset and reference to other object it's related to. And so rather than building just the strings on its own, I built that all into one system. Ah. And so that requ- that's why just pulling it from spreadsheets at runtime mm-hmm. isn't really a good option. Sure. Um, because all of those other things would have to be built anyway. Yeah. So um, what I did was, and it ends up being kind of a, it's like, you know, uh, two steps forward, two steps back, ultimately. Oh. <laughs> um, because the way it works is all of the data, all the, str- all the strings, mm-hmm. and many of the references to art assets, but not all of them, because there's some things that can't be fully, uh, you know, abstracted that way. Yeah. Um, those, that's in a spreadsheet. And the reason it's in a spreadsheet is so I can send that spreadsheet to a translation service and they can send it back. Yeah. And then the spreadsheet, it's, a, um, it's an Excel spreadsheet, so it's nicely formatted, right? So you, uh, it's color-coded. So then there's different blocks of things. So here's the blocks where all the, um, all the sock descriptions go. Mm-hmm. Here's the one where all the button prompts go. All of it is in a single data file, but each string has, is formatted slightly differently. Okay. So there are these three generic columns called value A, value B, value C, which depending on which section of the document mean different things, oh. right? So in, in, the, in the sock section... It's which level you find it in because the UI color color coats the little uh, element to give you a hint as to what level that that collectible is right, in. Yeah, and that data is stored in the spreadsheet, right? Oh, okay, and, yeah. And so, um, but then that same column for achievements because achievements should also be translated. Mm-hmm. Um, that stores the the gamer score value for for Xbox, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's another column that we need to score. The 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 um the Xbox or the PlayStation trophy level. Oh right. Yeah. And so they need to be different, you know, data columns. So they actually the generic data columns that go with it. So the spreadsheet is as much literally just data for me as I put all the data of the game together. But then it also has all the different uh, translation columns. So when that goes out for translation, it comes back. But having that extra data there is is contextual. Because mm-hmm. one of the things I learned a lot when I talked to localization people and and made some inquiries is that they, they do their job best if they understand what your game is yeah. and how it works. Right, yeah. Like, if it's just a straight translation, it will not work for... Like, you will not get a good result. Yeah. Um, you want to explain in as simple terms as possible without making them play your game for six hours because they're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But they will, they will want it to be described to them uh, how this works. So yeah. um, I, we need to tell them things like, what are the proper nouns in our game? Like, you know, like widget, it doesn't really translate to a lot of languages, but like widget for us is a proper noun mm-hmm. in the game. You collect widgets. So even if there was a, tra- a translation of the language, we don't want that translated. Yeah. Right? And so there are certain other, like doohickey, for example, another thing. Um, it's a proper noun in our game. So we want that to stay the same. So all that, all that contextual information is helped by having all the data laid out in a spreadsheet that's used by me and by the a, a translator. Yeah. It also makes it easier. I don't have to make separate documents for this stuff. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it keeps all of the data organized so that you have it in one centralized location. Yes. So you can look at it later and reference it for other purposes as well. Yeah. And that's the thing for a, a team as small as ours. Yeah. It's really important to, like, <laughs> double up on the functionality of a lot of your tools. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the, but the reason I've described it in such depth is because then what happens is the data... I then export. It's a nicely formatted thing. So normally, there are ways in Unity to just pull an Excel uh, sheet. Uh, I didn't do that. It's probably a mistake. 
Um, we read comma-separated value lists, oh, okay. uh, which is just the crudest form of spreadsheet you have, which is just literally comma-separates each cell, mm-hmm. and then a, a, a new line separates each row. And so um, if, you, if you open that up in Excel, it's like hard to read because there's yeah. no formatting. Yeah. So uh, our Excel document then will, um, can export using a macro, can export out a comma-separated uh, value, uh, uh, a document mm-hmm. that then is uh, in a folder in, the, in our Unity project which uh, doesn't get compiled with the game at all. Mm-hmm. So that is another intermediary document that just has the data in it. <laughs> yeah. So every time I make changes, I have to do a couple steps. This is the part where it's like two steps forward, two steps back. Yeah, I see. Because I need to export the, the CSV, and then in Unity, I could take each one of those scriptable objects one by one, and I have a button on there called Update Value from CSV. Yeah. It doesn't do it automatically. But I've automated a lot of that process. I now have a separate thing that has a big button on it <laughs> that says update all the things. I click it and I just step back for five minutes because ah. <laughs> it takes a lot of time. Yeah. So it's a, it's a multi-step process. Mm. So now it, these JSON files, yeah. you edit them, you're done. Right. Right. It, you run the game, it works perfectly. Yep. But the cost of that is that they're very much more strictly um, organized. Although you can get pretty complicated, certainly with a JSON document. Yeah. Um, but also, it creates a lot of that it, uh, that data out in the open, which is really only a concern for PC games, and even then, not really a concern. Yeah. But to me, I, I, there's part of me that I just, I just didn't want there just to be plain text. Not that I was worried people were going to change it or anything, because like that's cool, actually. It's that I just didn't want that data to be out there in that way. Sure. Plus, I wanted a lot of the data that isn't text that was part of these objects to remain sort of in the same place and, and, yeah. and trying to abstract that completely in spreadsheets wasn't always right. Sure. So a lot of the script, once I update them all, then I go through and the ones that need like different art assets, um, you know, I can make those changes yeah. as well. And having that all in one place is kind of nice. I like that your system also takes into account like images and such because like we, yeah. with uh, Treasure Stack, we weren't able to uh, edit the images or anything like that, translate any of the images. Yeah. So like at the beginning of the game, before you start, it goes one, two, or three, two, one stack. We didn't translate stack because it's just an image. Yeah. Um, so it's just stack everywhere. Yeah. Uh, of course, I would certainly make the argument that that's one of those cases you wouldn't really want to translate. Yeah, that's true. You don't really need to. You could. You can. It's, that's that's an artistic choice. Yeah. Really. Do you want to keep that sort of specific to your game, or do would you want to because that's a, that's a pivotal verb? Yeah. Do you want to actually translate to the, to the proper verb? It's that's a choice you make yeah. necessarily. I, of course, your the te- way you built it can help you make that choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say in our case, I think it was a practical choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. You should, especially for things like these complicated systems, mm-hmm. it, it, when you realize what scope you can do them at, it is important to let practical concerns help guide your creative choices, Yeah, right? Because sometimes you're like, I just don't have time to build this. Okay, well then, let me make the most satisfying creative choice under those constraints. Yeah. Instead of trying to have it both ways, but still not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Are there, does, does, are there images in your uh, translated things as well? Do they only send text? Like... In, uh, I guess in well, so I think Stephen, what you're referring to is like if you have some sort of like a game that has like achievement badges or something yes. in game yes. that have text on them as part of the art asset that you can't you can't quite get editable strings working with it. Yes, you might want to actually have multiple versions of that image um, for the different languages. Right, um, and there are some certainly some systems that are better suited to that than others. I think a system like the one you're working with, Martha that would be like a hindrance to its productivity. Yeah. But for a game where visual presentation is a big part of it, you may want to say, well, you know what? I could build this like composition and put a bunch of text fields around it in a, a organized way. Mm-hmm. But like ultimately I, I need to actually design this. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so uh, um, sometimes you need to build a system that localizes more than just text. Gotcha. Right. 
Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And there's you know there's ways to do that either within a system that I built or, or like like the system I built. Yeah. Um. Or even with JSON, you can certainly describe um uh you know file paths. Yeah. Without without much problem. Right. Um. So it's not you know it, there really isn't nothing no system that we've described the three of us that is incapable of doing anything you want it to do. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of like how, what fits into the rest of your workflow. Yeah. What kind of teams are going to be working with? Yeah. Like you know if you don't have a lot of strings in your game then scriptal objects are great by themselves. Mm-hmm. Because even though you have to go in and edit them in the Unity editor, which is like a nightmare I don't wish on anybody, <laughs> but even if you have to do that, uh-huh. if it's like 30 or fewer things total, yeah. it's not so bad. Yeah, I right? remember um, uh, Gravik, mm-hmm. uh, who works here locally at Glitch, um, had uh, needed translations done really quickly for uh, the... Their Optica, most, right? For Optica, yes. Yeah. Um, and they, I think they, I, I don't know exactly how they got those translations. I, I don't want to say they use Google Translate because I don't know if that was accurate or not. But um, like they just, you know, double checked it and stuff. And I, I think that like they were able to, you know, they don't have a lot of text. They designed the game specifically oh, yeah. not to have a lot of text. It's such a Zen game. Yeah. Speaking and, of games you should go by. Yeah. <laughs> right. That game's great. Um, but like they specifically designed the game uh, for not a lot of text. Also because like they wanted to translate it for a bunch of different uh, languages, but they didn't want to have to pay for you know all of the different yeah. words. So knowing uh, that in, in advance guided a lot of their aesthetic choices, right. which is really really cool. Yeah, um, and then yeah, ultimately if you don't have a lot in there, you can just you can send out a Word doc or an Excel sheet to someone yeah. for translation, get it back, and then go ahead and just do the data entry yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need a fully you know organized system. Yeah, and we have way more text and widget satchel than I would have guessed <laughs> at, yeah. when we started the project. That's true. Um, so I'm happy of our more robust system. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a little bit overkill for games smaller than ours, and our game is relatively small, so it's verging on overkill for itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you only have eleven words, then like yeah, you can get it translated pretty quick, right? Which right. is really nice. Um, what languages should you translate your game to that it will you know give you the most bang for your buck? Yeah, uh, Martha, do you know what the portfolio of uh, languages that your system offers, or is it just abstract? It's any languages you you can add to it. Um, Zim's right now is available in Spanish, Japanese, and I think French is coming soon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I mean, those seem like some of the biggies, right? You can certainly Google like most commonly spoken languages. Um, but there's another factor of it, which is which, uh, um, markets will be more receptive to products in their own language versus which ones are more accustomed, used to, or even prefer products in the original language that they were created in. Yeah. Um, which tends to be English for a lot of the uh, the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, and, and so doing the research on that is sort of interesting. Like we talked about how Japanese, um, you know, they, they expect a lot of English games to be in English, mm-hmm. at least certain elements of it. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of other um, uh, countries where um, they are familiar with how bad the translations generally are. And so they tend to prefer games uh, f- uh, from English-speaking countries untranslated ah okay um and but then there are other countries um and uh france is definitely one of them Uh where if you don't translate it is a you know it is an insult to their culture oh (laughs) (laughs) maybe i'm exaggerating but probably not by much (laughs) so knowing the difference of that is can really help you decide what you put your focus on yeah uh yeah i think treasure stack we definitely have french we have spanish japanese french german uh, and i think there's another language and then english obviously uh yeah, a good hint is just to look what other games do. Yeah, like especially like a like, a, like an Ubisoft, or something, mm-hmm. which tends to translate all of their games mm-hmm. pretty quickly mm-hmm. um, and very uh, um, uh, thoroughly. 
um, you know, the big AAA publishers, look at what their top five languages are. Yeah. Um, and that's a good hint as to where the markets demand that, you know? Yeah. I found a Gamasutra article about what languages you should localize your game into. It's Ooh. from 2015, but okay. still sort of, I mean, it's only four years ago. Yeah. Um, Things and, do change, but maybe not that quickly. So. Yeah. Uh, looks like um, if you're going into, they have here listed English, of course, then French, because it gives you access not only to France, but also to parts of Canada and parts of Africa. Um, I do have a German, note. Spanish. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to have a note on French. Um, one of yeah. the reasons it gives you access, as you've described, is because um, uh, Quebec in Canada and France have laws about what, how culture is distributed and how a certain amount of it for sale must be in French. Oh. Like they are quite protective of their language in a way that no other culture really is. Um, now that said, uh, there are, uh, uh, they make a lot of exceptions for, you know, uh, small timers and indie artists. Yeah. Um, but generally, um, you get a lot of cultural cachet by, by playing by their, their rules. Like mm. they want that. And so a lot of times you'll see in America, because the North American region includes Canada, yeah. you'll see French as the first translated. Uh, a text on a lot of Nintendo games, particularly. Oh, and the yeah. re even though there are way more Spanish speakers mm -hmm. in North America, yeah, and in, in, in America particularly. But the reason is they just have one region for that, and they have to have it in French oh. by law, like in Quebec. So yeah. it's huh. interesting, and that's not really true in a lot of other places. Yeah, mm, that is interesting. Huh. Mm -hmm. That does make sense. Should I continue with the list? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So then they go into the Asian market. Um, where the big three languages are Chinese, specifically Mandarin, and Japanese and Korean. Mm -hmm. um, and then other places they list are Russian, Hindi. Okay. They just list India, which like you should list the language. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of languages in India. <laughs> um, uh, Portuguese for the getting access to Brazil. Yeah. Which is like... More people should translate their stuff into Portuguese because Brazil is like a really big gaming yeah. center. Yeah, one of the, if, you, if you read a million of these articles like I have, one of the things you'll hear occasionally is like, secret, pro tip guys, <laughs> Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> because it's one of those that's like low on the list of a, West, of a Western uh, game developer's like mind. Like they yeah. don't, you don't consider it, but it's a huge market and they're very underserved. And mm. so they, they play plenty of English games, yeah. like a lot of other non-English speaking countries, and have no real problem with that. But um, they will they'll gobble up your game if you if you if you make yeah. it for them, and uh, I, more than other countries will yeah. if you make it for them. And One, I really like that. Oh, uh, go ahead, Mark. Oh, I was just saying that they in 2015 or in 2014, the game market in Brazil was 1.4 billion dollars. That's a lot of cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, uh, we should do talk about um, international ratings because there's there's some interesting Brazilian oh, angles on that I too. Can, yeah, we can talk about that some. Write, the, write that down, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> on we, it, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? Um, I was going to say that I, I really like that point that you brought up, Mark, about like making or doing the research as to what languages uh, it makes sense to translate for specifically yeah. because like you might translate it in the Japanese thinking, Oh, you know, Japanese speaking people will appreciate this, but they might just want to play the game in English and don't care about it. Right. And it's a um, huge market. So of course it's top of your list, yeah. but maybe it doesn't get as much bang for your buck. Right. It, it might not even matter to them and it might not help your game do well in the, in those markets. Whereas mm -hmm. if you translate it into Portuguese, which you said was underserved, 
they may appreciate it more and we would be more likely to purchase your game as a result of that. Yeah. So like doing the research ahead of time would help you, uh, you know, make those decisions. Yeah. And you know, if you're an indie developer and you have a lot of things to consider, right? Yeah. There's just the pure like market angle, like what is going to be the best resources of uh, best use of my time Mm -hmm. and resources to, to translate these things. Also, like what is going to be this thing that is the mo- the easiest or like what is the thing where for me to support going forward? Like if, if I want to chase an audience in Germany, then uh, what else do I need other than just <laughs> translating the game? Yeah. And is the, is the other things I need uh, bigger or smaller than if I were to chase a similarly sized audience in Korea mm-hmm. or something? And so you think about like, you know, do you need to maintain forums or support email for a lot of these things. Yeah. And certainly if you're publishing on consoles, um, do you want to deal with ratings agencies, some of whom you do actually need to natively speak and communicate with directly, and we can get into that when we, if we talk about that topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot more to it. And also, maybe there's a language you like. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to discount that in a sense. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, you know, maybe you want your translator game into Finnish because it, you like Finnish. Like, that is not a bad reason, mm-hmm. you know? There are 6,000 languages approximately now so pick the one you like <laughs> just for funsies yeah yeah i'm sure the community would appreciate it yeah don't treat it entirely like a job treat it as a opportunity for your own education and make it fun mm-hmm. you know um and that doesn't mean you do the translating right? yeah <laughs> although if you, if, have, you know if, if you, you want can to do it. take a couple semesters and you know yeah. muddle your way through go for it mm-hmm. um if you, it would if be a great senior project yeah oh yeah that is true Absolutely. Ooh, that's fun. If y'all are like, you know, like doing senior projects and you want to like translate local games, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, put, yeah. we'll point you in some directions. But then, you know, that, and that goes both ways. If you know someone who is a fluent speaker in some language, great. You're, you got a leg up. Yeah. You know, um, make sure you pay them. But, yes. <laughs> but like you have access and it also is more communication because that's one of the things about tra- translating mm-hmm. that is, uh, we've sort of touched on it, but it's really important. When, when you want that, you want those, uh, your, your jokes, your phrasing, right. you, you, what you, the things that, the things you want players to understand, you want that to come across in those languages. And, um, uh, translating isn't just, you know, word for word or even like getting the syntax right or the tricky meanings. Like people understand that it's not just Google Translate, right? Yeah. But there is quite a bit more to it than just getting it to sound native. Yeah. Right? It's, it's about concepts and things that you don't necessarily have an immediate understanding of. And so having a direct contact with someone who can be your translator instead of just sending it off to a service um, can give you a lot of things because you can ask questions. You can go back and forth. There's a level of trust involved. Yeah. Because I have to tell you, when I, when I think about this, I'm like, when I send, when I want Widgets Hatchel translated, we have a lot of dry humor mm-hmm. that is, I almost say it's, 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 it's almost dependent on its English delivery. Yeah. And so, you know, that we're not going to get the same success in other languages. We're just not. We have right. to accept that. Right. But we want to at least take a shot at it. Yeah. And what that means is we have to put trust in somebody else who is as funny as we <laughs> think we are. Right. <laughs> to do the translation yeah. because we're not going to be able to evaluate the success of it necessarily. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully we'll find enough native speakers that we can speak to directly mm-hmm. to, to give us feedback and help on, on results. But a lot of it is trust. Um, and... And that's tricky. Yeah. So the more the more the more hands on you can be with it, the more people you can work with, um, the better you'll be. And if that means you're going to target two languages instead of six, maybe you're better off doing that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. If if you translate your game 
it will make it more accessible to the people who speak languages other than your own. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> which leads me into my topic, accessibility, um, which I picked just because it's a good thing to talk about and mm-hmm. really interesting to me. But also, it's like surprisingly super relevant at this time period right now. <laughs> yeah, oh. this is really interesting. Tell us about this. Yeah, so there's this law that actually went into, uh, was made in tw- 2010 called the CVAA, which stands for the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Okay. And video games were exempt from this until December 31st, 2018. Mm-hmm. And now... Video games are under the, under this under these guidelines. What does it What does it require you do? So there's a list of things that we'll go through that you should make your game accessible to. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, if you don't follow these things and make someone makes a complaint, then the FCC can come after you, or more. Nicely, they'll come and help you figure out how to try to make <laughs> right, it more accessible. Right. Sure, um, because their goal, like the the law's stated goal, is to make things more accessible, not to punish people who don't. So they say that there's, um, they realize that these things can be hard to do, like especially some of the more like uh, uh, like visual impairment, for example, is like pretty hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, so they say, like, and especially some of these things are de- hard to deal with if you have a very low budget. So they say that the things must, uh, your game must meet the criteria as far as is achievable, uh, in okay. quotes, which right. means if you can prove that, like, hey, this would have been a huge financial burden on me, then, you know. It can be kind of lenient that right. way. Right, and what is huge and what is burden and what is reasonable. Yeah, lenient. it's all squishy. <laughs> but, but that's what the FCC has quite a lot of experience uh, adjudicating. Mm. And so it seems like it's kind of the best way that this law could have been written, actually. Even though it feels kind of scary and ambiguous, um, it allows for a lot of the, what the real world is made of. Yeah, and it, as you said, it was meant to help people, not punish people. So yeah. that's good. Yeah, yeah, and it also gives, like, if someone's being... If you're being a not great game developer and I'm being really rude to someone with a, like an accessibility issue, yeah. the, that person can have someone to go to to be like, hey, <laughs> this thing isn't fair. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. It, it, uh, it, takes, um, it does take the burden a little bit off of regulators, right? And it sort of does put it on you know, the aggrieved, which is not always yeah, great. Yeah, that's but, not great. But the balance on that is that they are the best judge of... Yeah. Of uh, of compliance, right? Ultimately, and so you know, balance and all things, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be really interesting to know uh, to look into um, uh, cases where this has been up for um, a, a debate or where complaints have been filed, and what cases, because um, it may be a case of just it's on the books, and then therefore just influences um, industry rather than having a lot of practical, you know, uh, uh, case examples, or it may be that like. It's a, a, a bustling office at the FCC. I don't know. <laughs> well, so in this article, the IGDA put out an article um, ahead of this change, oh, okay. uh, which we'll link. Um, but they say that in the six years that other industries have had to comply with the CVAA, like 
the film industry, etc. Mm-hmm. Every one of the 70 or so consumer issues raised so far has been resolved by fixed or dropping the issue during the mediation. And none of them have progressed far enough for it to be a fine or anything like that. Cool. Only 70 cases. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. I wonder, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I wonder if that's a, an, um, a result of maybe the process is a little bureaucratic or unknown, mm-hmm. or maybe it's a case of it actually do, having a good... Uh, uh, influence on on those 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 industries. It seems like like reading this whole article. It seems like like the whole point is like they don't really don't want to like find anybody. Like yeah. they really want to help people improve access. Their priority is to improve access. Mm-hmm. So, um, for as far as games go, if your game is already in development, um, you don't have to comply but they would like you to comply as much as you can, <laughs> of course, Pretty because please. that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so, so it's something to think about from the very start of your design process. Mm, yeah. Um, so let's go through some of the things you want to want to think about. Um, let's just go down the list of the CVAA. <laughs> um, so the first one is um, people with vision loss or complete vision impairment. Yeah. Um, which, like, if you don't have full vision loss, like, you would want to make sure your text in your game, if you can have maybe an option to make it bigger or a higher contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, same with, with, like, chat windows and things. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of things so far with this about making your chat in your game accessible. Sure. Oh, sure, sure. Um, so either for, for people with visual impairment, like, have something to read it out loud or to make it bigger or with the auditory impairment then make like voice chat could be speech to text it makes a lot of sense that uh that chat would be a focus uh for compliance because one it's uh, not to discount its aesthetic qualities but chat, <laughs> chat windows are mostly a feature rather than uh, necessary you know and so more like a software feature um than a game ele- game design feature and so it also is something that would put a player who is disadvantaged because of a disability um, on uh, um, uh, apart from other players, right. whereas uh, like a small single player indie game that is not quite as accessible, you know, is a tragedy. But it's not the same as being excluded from a community. Yeah, right. uh, exactly. Gamers, right. It, that's a, that's a whole nother level and something that I imagine would would get a lot more attention uh, to uh, for remedies like this. Yes. <laughs> oh, one of the other things would be color blindness. Okay. Um, that's one that we talk a lot about at the game is game devs yeah, is yeah. making sure that like if you're doing a puzzle and it's all color based, like mm-hmm. making sure that there's modes where the colors are contrasted enough from each other yeah. with the different color blindness that people can have. Right. Um, Cause otherwise it'll be like completely unplayable or, right. or, or if you have like, you know, things that are supposed to stand out and be really obvious but like totally blend in if your colors are different. Yeah. You want to watch for that too. Yeah. In treasure stack, uh, each of the, we have different, we have four colors, uh, but each of the colors of chests, they also have little notches on the, the corners of them to, because you need to be able to match up similar colored keys and chests together. Mm-hmm. So the keys in the chests of the same uh, color also have little notches in the same corner. That you can right, right. Um, additional I, markers. Yeah, yeah. It's. I originally thought it wasn't the clearest thing because, like, it's it's kind of hard to really notice. 
unless you're really looking for it. But uh, when we were showing it off at PAX, there were uh, one or two people who uh, had issues with colorblindness. And they said that like they were able to play just fine and they were doing uh, pretty well in the competitive mode. So yeah. <laughs> it ended up working out okay. Uh, but yeah, like, yeah, uh, we had thought about that. That's definitely one of those things that we as game designers feel like we have a l- much more of a handle on. Yeah. Because it's because your solutions are design solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not purely visual or, you know, changing a setting or something. You feel like, well, the the purpose of this visual element combined with this sound and motion and and time element, all of that is designed to convey a concept. Well, now it's missing the, one of the legs of the stool it's standing on. So how can we balance it? Right, in a different uh-huh. way, and so that's that's a design problem. Yeah, um, which is different from say just like text legibility. Yeah, we, we kind of was like, eh, whatever, we can fix that. Like, who it's boring. Mm-hmm. But like, so that's like, <laughs> that's why colorblindness yeah. gets a lot of attention in like our, a lot of the discussions we have in this community because it feels like something we can tackle, yeah. something we can be creative about. Yes, and also something that is easiest to tackle early on. All I feel like all these problems are really easiest to tackle early on. Yeah. But like. Uh, colorblindness is very difficult to adjust for uh, when after you're, the fact. Yeah, after the fact, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's something, yeah, something you got to keep conscious of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a shout out to um, Color Jumper. Oh, yeah, a game that is entirely based on color matching. Mm-hmm. It's also a precision platformer, so mm-hmm. it's particularly based on you know matching, matching, like yeah. really getting it right. Yeah. And uh, the colorblindness mode in that is really uh, effective. Mm. It turns all the colors each into a, puts a different pattern on the color fields that are different suits of cards, mm-hmm. which is already a, a familiar metaphor without having to be, without changing or, or dismissing a lot of the existing art. Um, really, really effective for a game that, that's about that. Yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a really good way to tackle that. Yeah. In a way that, that other games, you know, don't do as good a job at, I don't mm-hmm. think. I know that in, in Metro Nexus, when I've showed it off, Metro Nexus is very, um, a lot of things are color specific for, for different players. Yeah. Um, and scoring systems are very much based on color fields. And I've had a, a bunch of colorblind players play it. And it, what's kind of frustrating, I think, is when a colorblind player gives you feedback, they're, they bring with them a lifetime of coping with not being catered to. Yeah. And so when they give you feedback, it always comes from a place of like, like, what would be the bare minimum you could do to make it just a little better for me? Mm. And I always, I always feel like, Give me more feedback than that. Like, yeah. be harder on me. Mm-hmm. And I always find um, maybe it becomes because it's it's difficult to make those those feelings known or heard. But uh, I've generally found that people who are colorblind and talk to me about it tend to be unreasonably kind about about the, the problems your game is giving them. Yeah, <laughs> like, they seem to be like huh. uh, uh, you know yeah burdened with it to a bit. It makes me feel kind of sad. <laughs> I'm like just like give me crap, please. <laughs> like, let, let me know how I can do yeah, better. Yeah, I, I I definitely see where you're coming from because yeah, we, I would like to know more about how to do it. Um, and I would you know we need that feedback in order yeah. to, to you know make those improvements. And but it shouldn't. And and the, the truth is, it should not be upon those people right. to be the ones who stand up and and make it. It's, yeah. Uh, when you hear that feedback, you should make sure that you don't be like, okay, I'm fine then. You know what I mean? Right. Like, eh, it's not that bad. I'm fine yeah. then. Mm-hmm. Like, make sure you hear it fully and 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 ask for more if you can get more. Yeah. And you make the effort too. Yeah. Don't just try to like clear the bar. Right. I guess. Yeah. Um, and no, you know, good. for Metro Nexus, it's it's actually I I didn't think about it early enough, and so I know that that game isn't going to have a perfect result. I've done I've done things uh, to help. Yeah. But I feel like I kind of have to live with not being able to do as much as I want to. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important part. Of, of like planning accessibility yeah. is knowing what limits you can do, especially as a small developer. You know, if you're medium or larger, you have fewer excuses, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know. It's that's tough, right? Because you don't want to let yourself off the hook. Yeah. Um, well, I think being like cognizant of the fact that like these things are issues um, and, and they exist, and you should do something about it, is at least and is something. Yeah. It's not like I mean, just knowing about a thing and then not doing it is. <laughs> but like, like if you can't, yeah. like if you literally cannot do it, anything about it, and like because you just can't afford it, you can't put in the effort, you can't put in the time because yeah. it's just it's just too much work. I don't know. Uh, and sometimes you say like, you know, this other thing has priority Yeah, and you know, if you, maybe you feel bad about that and maybe you should, Mm -hmm. but you should be really clear eyed about it. Yeah. So you, so you don't, you don't, you don't try to like say like, oh, well, you know, it'll be fine, I guess. Yeah. That's basically the point I was trying to make is that like, 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 yeah, if you, if you are not able to add this thing because, uh, but you like want to do it and you just can't do it, uh, even though you want to make your game more accessible, then like accept that fact. Yeah. Um, and it sucks. But like, right? You no, know, I guess. I guess the 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 this is the be, make sure to be hard on yourself a little oh, bit. Is yeah. Is if you feel like you can't do it, make sure that you don't tr- convince yourself that there was no way you could have done it. Yeah. Uh, make sure you, that you know at least a little bit that you chose not to do it. Yeah. And so that you don't that you're never defensive about having not done it. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, uh, which isn't to say that you know you need to like drop half the features in your game to make the other half a little more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a decision that you need to make about what where your priorities are, but you should be very clear about what you are choosing to do. Yeah, um, that's what makes that's the toughest thing about being an indie developer is like it's it's that's the, the lack of resources that bothers me the most. Mm-hmm. You can scope down to make a smaller game, mm-hmm. but some of these things that are not necessarily part of your design scope um, feel like things that you know can start to the smaller you are, the more percentage of your project it would re- need to reasonably take up. Yeah, and you need to make hard choices. Bumming everybody out. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's go through some more things that you can do. Yeah, yeah. There's a bigger list. <laughs> yes. So we talked about, in addition to visual stuff, there's also operable with limited or no hearing. Okay. So um, that means if you have cutscenes with voice acting in your game, you want to have subtitles. Not, and that's the cool thing about accessibility things is that not. Only do they help people with disabilities, but they also help people who are temporarily with disabilities just because what they're doing. Like, for example, if you have a baby that you are trying to get to go to sleep and you want to be playing your game without the sound, you want subtitles on it. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So it helps everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, th- another thing is like if you have a tell in your game like like a boss or something that's an auditory cue you want to also have something visual or some other way to show that that's happening right um, and um, also think about like the soundtrack or like the things that are happening should go into both or have an option to go into both heads- headphones oh yeah what is it called stereo oh monaural like the mono yeah oh yeah because some people have like hearing loss in one ear and so are only getting one side of it so if you have something that only happens in the right ear and they can't, if they can't hear in the right ear then they're going to completely miss it yeah you know it's funny i've been thinking about the settings menu for widget satchel and i totally missed that one uh, stereo mono toggle of course oh yeah that's so easy to do and you can do it at the system level in your game your on your game engine so mm-hmm. um yeah that's an easy tip yeah yeah so after that is operable with limited manual dexterity. Mm-hmm. So if you can't move your hands very much, there's a um, really cool thing, probably everyone's heard of this, but the the uh, Xbox 
adaptive controller. Oh, yeah, very yeah. cool. It's yeah. so cool because it's got these huge buttons. So even if you can't like move very far, you can hit part of the button, which is so cool. In addition to like dexterity, there's also limited reach and limited strength. Okay. So um, if you are using a prosthetic device, so that the adaptive controller works for all those too. That's good. Um, which is super cool. I think a lot of these too, like I'm thinking about making a VR game, like how, yeah. oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> you have to make sure that like you can do stuff with in different ways and not if your thing is all gesture based, maybe have a, have another way of doing it right. besides the gesture. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I know like newer games will oftentimes allow you to, you know how like in a lot of games you have to mash a button or to get out of it. Like newer games will oftentimes give you an option to like, uh, as an alternative to do that, like maybe you have to hold the button or you don't have to do that at all just because, you, you know, and sometimes people just don't want to be sitting there mashing the A button all the time. So like that's beneficial for people who are just not interested in that kind of content. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but like that, that's uh, uh, alternative controls. It's setting your controls, you know, having, having a, what's it, what's it's control setting Yeah, uh, would uh, be very beneficial for people because like then they can, Especially on keyboard, then you can put your uh, your controls however you want to do it, uh, which is really nice. You just mean just general remapping? Yeah, yeah, remap. Yeah. That's mm. the word, remapping. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and there's a really great plugin for Unity if you're a Unity person. It's called Rewired. Yes, it does, <laughs> it does have a remapping uh, thing, but its UI is uh, real bad. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's well minimum viable. And yeah. if you want, you know, if you're making a PC game, um, you can just use their built-in thing. To make all your controls remappable yes. at, for by for the user, mm-hmm. it's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, also, uh, both Xbox and PlayStation have OS level button remap. That's right. Which for people developing games for those systems makes things a lot easier on you. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so cool. I yeah. didn't realize that. I wish the Switch had it. It's yeah. just one of those things that like it's such a lovely quality of life thing. A lot of people use it to like you know get their buttons where they want them, yeah. and it's just for that too. Well, but it's yeah, an incredible it's accessibility like, thing. Mm-hmm. Like. Dylan talks about that all the time. Anyone who plays Elite Dangerous, if you want to know, <laughs> he will tell you all his key bindings because he's got it all set up. So it's all on the controller. There's mm. only three buttons that are not on the controller. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about accessibility is you want to think not just about serving uh, audiences with disabilities. Um, like Martha, you were the example of the, you know, the, the person with the small child needing to do subtitles for so, however many months or years it takes to, for, to or a baby to go to sleep. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but like you want to think about not just making those experiences like compensate, but make mm. them quality experiences. Right. Yeah. That people might even choose uh, in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like if they don't want to wake up their spouse or something like, yeah, make that a good experience. Yeah. There's yeah. plenty of people who like watch movies with subtitles on regardless of whether or not they can hear it. So yeah. like it's just valuable yep, to have yep. in there, but and, like, and remapping all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and like like I was thinking about like if you only have one arm or something, like having a having a mode or a way to map it so that you can do stuff with only keys or buttons reachable by one hand would also yeah. help someone who like broke an arm or like has yeah. a cat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but also like um, you know someone who wants to like yeah like train their hand after an injury. Oh yeah, or something they could play with both hands, but with a mode like you know there are uh, situations and use cases you can't even imagine. Yeah, um, but you can come up with a couple and design for. And then let users discover the you know additional ways because the thing about disability is it isn't always all or nothing mm-hmm. yeah and so you need to think about that spectrum as well and that includes able uh, uh, you know people and everybody who might choose to 
to those features for whatever reason. Yes. You know, yes. their hand is caught in a vice this afternoon. <laughs> you, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but they really got to get in a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're like, maybe you were getting your nails done and you're doing one hand at a time. Hey, that's go. a much more reasonable scenario. <laughs> right. Um, I do want to shout out to uh, Mark Brown has done a few uh, videos on uh, this, this exact topic. Um, I cannot remember the name of the the things, but we uh, will link. Game Maker's Toolkit is Game Maker's Toolkit, yep. yes, and then, right, but uh, there's it's like designing for dis- disabilities is what mm-hmm. it's called. Um, it's a really good uh thing. He did a lot of research on like uh, he you know he talked to I th- I think he talked to like able bot or able gamers and things like that to get all of this information and compile it into a nice video for you to watch. Um, so you know check that out. Uh, we'll link to it in the the, the show notes. And if you just want to feel good about what people are doing in the world, just look into Able Gamers. Like it's a great organization. Yeah, yeah, it does so much. Just about bringing awareness to this as, as a as you know in this this culture in this industry, um, because we think about like as designers, your first blush a lot of times is just like, well, you want only an audio cue. It's an important part of my horror game that I'm making or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like you, you tend to be sort of reactionary against a lot of these, a lot of the things because yeah. it's about creative expression. A lot of these design choices you make. Yeah. And so, which isn't to say there isn't a place for that, that can even supersede in some cases. You might make this game just isn't for certain people. And like that, again, choices you make, mm-hmm. right? But I think like organizations like able gamers and other people being advocates for those audiences means that there's more games that cater to more people. Yeah. And ultimately that makes all games better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this same with localization systems too, really. Like just, mm-hmm. you know, more more people playing games is a good thing. Always is. If you're lucky, some of them will play yours. <laughs> <laughs> yup. <laughs> I want to just quickly go through the rest of the list. Oh, yeah. Um, just so that there's more things to think about that you might not have. Yeah. Um, so operable without time dependent controls. So there's, I think Celeste has this where you can make it so that everything's a lot less. Maybe it's not Celeste. There's ones where you can make it where the, the speed of the game slows down. So you don't not have sure. to um, be so quick with your, your inputs. Yeah. Um, operable without speech. So you don't, uh, have ways around if you have to have something with a microphone. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's like Nintendo games that I can remember with the DS where you had to like talk, like say a noise into the right. microphone to get through. So yeah, later later games had an option to just use a button instead. Oh, nice. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, the yeah. earlier ones did have that issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, operable with limited cognitive skills. Mm-hmm. So um, provide a mode that minimizes the cognitive memory language and learning skills required from the user. Okay. So maybe offering a, a mode that is easier. Yeah. Um, or, oh, yeah. Difficulty settings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Celeste has that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we're not playing in the arcades anymore. Yeah. So right. It doesn't break your design to have an easy mode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which helps with kids, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's all, all good. Um, okay. So having um, access to text that is not moving. Because that can be hard for people to read. Um, so if there's something that's in the in the in the game world, I guess, and can move around, you probably want to have or like scrolling text at the bottom. Yeah, you'll want to have it somewhere else at least that is not moving. Yeah, um, yeah, I hadn't heard that one before. Uh, there's a lot of more complicated technical ones. Um, oh, prevention of visually induced seizures. So oh, don't yeah. have a lot of flashing. 
uh, or like flashing bright colors and and things like that. Yeah, that was a recent issue in uh, what the most recent The Incredibles two, oh. whatever. Because mm-hmm. like there's some some uh, flashing lights that happened in it, and people were having issues with it. Oh no! They had it, well, what they did is they had a warning up uh, before people like you know before the movie started that let people know that this has that kind of stuff in it. Mm-hmm. So you should be careful about it. Um, but yeah, like just be cognizant of that. Is there a is there a a, a test or a threshold? Because my memory is that it's not it's not something you can easily know will happen. Yeah, which is why sometimes these things slip out without everyone knowing. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know. Well, maybe we'll look for one, and if we find one, I didn't find one in the yeah. limited research that I did sure, before sure. the show. <laughs> <laughs> We're just here to kickstart things, people. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. Oh, here's one hearing aid coupling. So like I don't think this is for this is for video game designers, but in general, it was like I think this is more for hardware stuff, the mm-hmm. part of the second list. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be like being able to hook your audio input up to the hearing aid itself. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Games are doing they have headphone jacks in there in the con- controllers now, right? I mm-hmm. know Xbox One and PS4 do. I don't think yep. this does the Switch have one? It's got a headphone jack on it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Those but are, not on the pro controller. Oh, well. <laughs> People complained, you know. Yeah. It's, a, it's a one of those. It's, again, a lot of these things, um, you know, that's not necessarily an accessibility feature, but mm-hmm. it, it can be leveraged that way. Yeah. Hardware design is a big part of this. Yes. That we don't necessarily have as much control over as, right. as game designers, but yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff that is is hardware specific. Mm-hmm. But there are some people are like making hardware and then oh, yeah. the indie game area. So. Oh, absolutely. Like you know the, the um, alt dot control. Yeah, GDC showcases and stuff, and people making physical games. Mm-hmm. So extra considerations, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there's another cool resource I wanted to link to, which is GameAccessibility.com, which just has a like a huge repository of games and like what sort of accessibility things they have. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for like good examples of how people have done this in the past, um, it's a good database to look up. Like, oh, how did people like make this accessible? Like for you know people who are deaf um and then they you can search by by the different things in here too so, oh wow that's, yeah that's yeah. really good that's super cool mm-hmm. i want to shout out as a, a woman who works for ea yeah uh, karen stevens and she's on twitter as um at ea underscore accessible and she talks about these issues a lot um and if you're if uh, i mean i think she works for ea sports but like whatever like <laughs> yeah <laughs> follow her for lots of really good uh do's and don'ts and a real expert um a lot of experience and expertise in these areas yeah uh, from a triple a developer but really good information for indie devs as well cool a lot of resources <laughs> available for you to, to check out yeah we'll have a couple for you but look out some on your own i think yeah. that's the research for both our topics today yeah is something that if you are not interested in that then you're not going to do it as well as you mm-hmm. should yeah, so learn. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club and your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club and email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host, as well as get all of the links and show notes from this and other episodes at NiceGames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice.
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thinking about that time issue, um, uh, very frequently the thing you see in a lot of third uh, person action games is the mash square yeah. a lot to open a door or something. Um, everyone's always hated that, but it's been very difficult for certain types of gamers. And so most games now have the option to just make that a hold. Yes. Uh, Steven I, I did that up. You were when you were in here. I brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> <Not good. laughs> Sorry. Stop me earlier. <laughs> <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.